What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. What's up, everybody? We're back at it again with the Preachers of Sneakers podcast. I've got somewhat of a different interview today. We're talking to Erica Grieve, who's the CEO and founder of Unlikely Heroes, a nonprofit that rescues children from sex slavery. I know it's a little different from the conversation we've had so far, but she also spent time with Bethel Church and Jesus Culture on their world tours. So she had some pretty interesting perspectives on this whole Preachers and Sneakers thing. So I know you'll enjoy it. A note about the episode, there is some graphic content that me and Erica talk about. So if you've got small kids, just be aware of that. It's up to your discretion whether they listen or not. But uh, I thought it was really important to talk about the work that she does. And so the nature of her work is is pretty graphic. So uh, just be aware and I hope you enjoy the episode. One last thing is that we have a super exciting announcement at the end of the episode. So be sure to stay tuned until the very end. And I think you'll enjoy what we have for you. Okay, here's my conversation with Erica Grieve. My next guest is the founder and CEO of, in my opinion, one of the most important nonprofits today, Unlikely Heroes. Unlikely Heroes is homes for children rescued out of sex slavery in the Philippines, Thailand, Mexico, and the United States. Not only has she led a movement to help end child sex trafficking, but she worked at Bethel Church and was a speaker at the Jesus Culture Conferences all over the world. I thought it'd be great to hear perspective on the Preachers and Sneakers discussion. Erica Grieve, welcome to the Preachers and Sneakers podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is super fun. I appreciate you making the time. So uh, I've got a few questions here and answer them how you may. Uh, first off, tell us about your background with Jesus Culture and Bethel Church. Yeah, I've been at Bethel and for years. Bethel Church is really home to me. Um, I was the young adults pastor at Bethel Church. And then for Jesus Culture, I was the director of Campus Awakening, so I ran the university side for Jesus Culture. And then for all the Jesus Culture conferences while I worked there, I was one of the main speakers, um, which was super that's fun. A pretty massive, and, that's a pretty massive title. Yeah, I've had such a great experience with Bethel and their generosity. So I'm excited to be on Preachers with Sneakers to kind of bring that viewpoint of just kind of what's happening behind the scenes, too. Yeah, so with uh, Jesus Culture, what what time frame was that in the world? Um, 2008 to 2010. So 
somewhere. Okay, there. and and what was your what was your role on on those tours? You said you, you I was mentioned a speaker, being speaker, and then I ran Campus Awake. I was the director of Campus Awakening, so that's the university side, and I we worked to um, plant campus ministries. So I started the first one at UC Berkeley while I was getting my master's in social work there. And then I would work with Jesus Culture and talk a lot about prayer and intimacy and how to pray for your city and things like that. Wow. Did you get any pushback with trying to plant in Berkeley? I don't, I, like, were they pretty open to yeah, we did a, a campus super ministry? fun event at the campus um, where Jesus Culture performed and Cindy Jacobs spoke. And um, yeah, we got some pushback, but also people really loved when we would go around and prophesy on the campus over students. And we'd get uh, we'd go out every month and um, just go out and pray for people. And it was really fun to see the reactions and how open they were, especially to the prophetic. So interesting. Uh, so after you left Jesus Culture in Bethel, kind of at the same time, right? That was a concurrent type yeah. role. You started to think about the future and what did you what you wanted to do next. Could you kind of talk about uh, what led you into the nonprofit side, and then more specifically, what led you to start Unlikely Heroes? Yeah. So while I was getting my master's at UC Berkeley, I was interning at Oakland Children's Hospital and children were coming into the emergency department who had been sold on the streets of Oakland for sex. And there was this little girl and I will never forget her. Um, she was 11 years old, failing out of fourth grade. She was mentally challenged and she had delayed speech, but physically she looked about 16 years old and her mom had brought her in and she, her mom pulled me aside and told her me that she'd been trafficked. Um, by a man that she was calling her boyfriend, who was actually her pimp. And so my yes. job was to do the interview. And so I sat down with the little girl and I said, okay, so how did you meet? I used her word. How did you meet your boyfriend? And she said, well, I was walking home from school one day and there was a man staring at me. And the next day he was out of his car and then he started talking to me and he, I fell in love with him. It was the first time anyone had ever said, I love you in my whole life. And she said, and then um, he started giving me pot. And then he said, now that I'm in love with you and you're in love with me, you're in this family. And this is how we make money in this family. And he introduced her to the other girls that he was trafficking. And he said, now you're going to go out on the street and make money. And I said, what was it like the first time that you had to get into a car? And she said, well, I was walking up and down the track and my boyfriend said that he'd be watching me. And so I just walked up and down the street. And every time I looked over, he was watching at me and then a car pulled up and I got in and I said, how was that? And she was like, it was scary and terrifying. And so her mom said to me, pull me aside, you know, you've got an 11 year old mentally challenged girl who thinks someone's in love with her. How do you expect her to cognitively understand that there was a predator that went out to find someone he could exploit and make money off of her being raped? So her mom said, can you find a program for her? And I said, no problem. Let me go talk to my supervisor. I'll, I'll see what exists. And my supervisor said there are no homes that, that exist for children who've been sold on the streets for sex in the United States. So I had to go back to the mom and say, I'm sorry, there's nothing that I can do to help. And I can't explain it, except I just walked away troubled. I didn't think I'd be involved. I, you know, people weren't talking about human trafficking back then. There was like one documentary on modern day slavery. Like people weren't talking about it. And I just walked away and just thought, 
how can I just let this girl go back out on the streets to be raped and intentionally exploited? And I graduated, got my master's, went, um, moved immediately back to Reading, went full-time with Jesus Culture. Jesus Culture was blowing up. It was awesome. You know, tours exploding and traveling all around the world with them. And I can't explain it except after I would preach, I would walk off stage and I would think of her face. And I would think of all the kids in the audience who, yes, conferences are amazing and people experience God and I, I love what they're about. But I would think all these kids were brought here by someone. They were brought by a youth pastor or a parent or someone who was able to help them. And then I would think about her and I would think she has no one. And so through, you know, some different encounters, I decided to start Unlikely Heroes. I felt like God really asked me to start an organization that would provide homes for kids that were sold for sex. And so in 2011, we opened our first home in the Philippines. Um, and we now have seven homes, one in the Philippines, one in Thailand, four in Mexico, and one in Dallas, Texas. Wow. And yeah, so we've helped to get running... 400 kids out of sex slavery. Gosh. And you're still running, like, the operations behind it? Yes. Yeah. I go to the homes. I, you know, I was just in Mexico. We just got the most children recovered in one week. We got 10 children in in a week. Youngest was 18 months old. And we've had a two-year-old in Thailand come in already with a broken pelvis and a broken shoulder from being raped so badly and trafficked. So um, sadly, we have a boys' home in Mexico and there's such a big waiting list. We don't even take boys over the age of nine um, because there's just so much need. So, um, but then there's these beautiful stories of restoration where one of the girls at our USA home just, um, graduated and got into a better college than I went to for university. So I'm seeing their dreams restored. And one of the girls, uh, who came into our home in 2011 is now a nurse. And she was, um, I think she was 12 when she came into our home and she, got her high school degree. She couldn't read and write when she came into our home. Now she's a nurse and goes into brothels and brings in food and talks to the girls and the women there about human trafficking and how to not fall into it. And in the Philippines, how to not get exploited to other countries. So our name, Unlikely Heroes, is that these kids, after they get rescued from human trafficking, that they would become the unlikely heroes that would stop modern day slavery. Wow. So the goal is to create an experience of restoration that is so impactful that they would want to repeat it for others. Absolutely. You can you can hear about problems all over the world, but when you hear from a child who was raped at the age of three and four and five and used for child pornography, it, it now has a face. There's now a person. There's now the reality of a human. And as soon as you humanize someone, I feel like then there's a responsibility that we all feel as people to actually do something and get involved. Yeah, that's huge. And I bet that feels super fulfilling for you to, to be able to look back and say, hey, look, 400 people were rescued out of the most dreadful experience anyone could ever imagine. My favorite part is seeing them dream again, seeing them do so well. And, you know, like when I first started in like Heroes, I thought, these kids, some of them are probably going to need care for the rest of their lives, and some of them do. But then there's this whole other group that 
are even more resilient than kids who grew up in stable and loving homes. And they really are resilient and are transforming the world. One of them is on the Forbes 100 list of most powerful women in Mexico. And she was trafficked, you know, like who's on the Forbes lists of 100 most powerful women. And here she's been through this and she's making a major impact. So um, it's those stories that continue to inspire me daily. That's amazing. Could you talk a little bit about the process? Because I imagine a lot of people don't understand how one can just go in and identify someone that needs to be rescued and the act of getting them out of sex slavery. Like maybe not the details, but yeah. it would be interesting to hear how that process actually happens. No, I get asked that a question all the time. And I think that most people think that it's like men with big, you know, with huge muscles and big guns going in and like pulling these girls out. And it's not like that at all. It's, hmm. it's relationship. It's our teams going into brothels week after week after week and bringing food. Um, we'll do medical testing because in some countries um, they need to be met medically tested. We will provide medical services for them. Sometimes we go in and paint the girls nails and just provide um, care that they would actually want. A lot of times it's food. And then when our teams are in there, you know, it'll typically be the same 30, 40 girls in a brothel, and then they'll see a young one come in. And then through that process, we've established relationship. We can either help them to quietly disappear, or we can build that relationship to actually talk them through um, what next steps could be. So um, one great story is there's a girl named... Um, I'll change your name. So she, um, our teams were in the brothels um, in Thailand and they saw her come in. She was about 16 years old and they were, they noticed that she was in the corner, not talking to anyone. And so they talked to her and um, she was from a village and her father was dying of HIV. So the village had distanced himself from her and her, and her mother, and they were all starving to death. And so the family got together and said, well, we're going to need to send her down to the brothel so that she can make money for us. And our team was actually able to talk to her, come up with a plan to actually get her out of the brothel and make sure that her family didn't, um, have to sell their daughter for sex so that they didn't starve to death. And so she was actually never raped, which is an incredible story of protection. Um, but um, yeah, so it's going in, developing relationship. It's slow, it's not easy, and it is very dangerous. Um, and then like in Mexico, all of the children in our home are placed through um, the Department of Children and Family Services as well as um, the police. So our home director will go into the red light district schools in Tijuana, where a lot of American tourists will be coming over the border to abuse children and train the teachers on how to identify uh, sex trafficking and what it could look like if a child's been trafficked. And so then the teachers work to report it. And then our home directors and our team and our attorneys work to build the case to get the child out of that situation. Wow. That's insane. How do you, how do you, how do you like deal with the weight of that every single day? Like you're, you're interacting with the most depraved part of humanity every single day with a smile on your face, seemingly. How are you dealing with the weight of that every single day? It's hard. I came back from, I was in the Philippines in August of last year and there was a girl and she was 
um, 16 years old and she was so beautiful. And um, she just had something about her where I could tell that she didn't yet know that she was a sex slave. She said that she'd been in the brothel less than a month. It was in Manila in the Philippines and I was there, it was four o'clock in the morning. And um, there was a man that had been her customer for the last week. So he'd been raping her for about a week. And she was trying to learn Japanese because um, he was spoke Japanese. And I knew immediately she was doing that so that she could hope that she could connect with him and he would marry her and get her out of the brothel. And there was a moment that I just looked into her eyes and I realized that she didn't understand the situation. She still thought that she could get out of it. And I, it was hope that I saw in her eyes. And I'm in so many brothels, sitting with so many girls, and I so rarely ever see hope that when I mm -hmm. left, it, it actually really impacted me. And I still think about her daily. Hmm. Have you ever, have you ever feared for your life doing this kind of work? Like, have yes, you ever, yes. have there been any, can you, I guess, say any stories that you can talk about? That? Yeah, I've had kidnapping threats against me on two trips to the Philippines. So I travel with armed security. And then after the um, 2014 kidnapping of in Nigeria, um, where 276 schoolgirls were kidnapped by the Boko Haram, um, we all commonly refer to that as hashtag bring back our girls. I was asked to go in with the team and to um, provide emergency uh, services and counseling to some of the girls who had escaped from the Boko Haram and to many of the mothers still waiting to see the return of their daughters. And I had to have full security on that trip because obviously we were doing press and speaking out against the Boko Haram, which was uh, dangerous, very dangerous. Yeah. Gosh. And you're only going up from here, right? So you're only scaling unlikely heroes to grow even bigger and bigger. What does it look like for the future, for the next few years, for you? Hundreds of homes. The more homes, we there there just is such a need. And um, like, I'm so inspired by seeing how well these kids are doing, but then I'm, I know uh, we need more and more homes and that's just what drives me. Yeah, well, I hope, I hope we can collectively raise more awareness about what you're doing and hopefully raise some money and, and support for you. Because I've like, since we've met, we've only met because of this <laughs> Preachers and Sneakers account, uh, but now we're friends yeah. and th whenever we talked about what you were doing, it struck me so heavily that I, I wanted to help do something about it because it seems like a universally good thing to do is to try to help kids get out of mother freaking sex slavery. Yeah. Like this, like the fact that that exists is just bullshit. And I yeah. think that you actually putting action to thought and action to awareness is so important and it's so hard for people to do that like people want to talk about awareness and talk about raising money but also don't want to do anything about it and you're a person that literally is pounding the pavement trying to rescue these girls and so i'm just like so impressed and Thanks. uh so moved by what y'all are doing so uh we'll get to that later um but we we met out of this weird set of circumstances yeah. around this stupid Instagram account. And you're the anonymous person behind the podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we, we've met face to face in an anonymous fashion, which was uh, fun and weird at the same time. Uh, so we don't have to spend too much time on this, but obviously people come to this podcast to talk about preaching sneaker or to listen to people talk about preaching sneakers. Um, and you know, you've had a pretty interesting insight into it as well as like a background vision into kind of some of these guys and girls and how they're living their lives. And so I thought it would be important to hear your thoughts about it. So, um, 
after a few weeks of kind of thinking on this whole materialism, celebrity Christianity type thing in the church, could you kind of maybe just give me a few thoughts on what you think about this? Yeah. So first of all, I run an organization and I live, breathe and eat justice. So like, I'm so passionate about justice, but I think that the thing that we miss so often is that it starts with me. And so like, for example, our Philippines home, there was a woman and she was a pastor and she was driving by brothels and she saw girls as young as 10, 11 and 12 years old. And she thought, I need to do something to get those girls out. But here's the thing. It was happening all over the Philippines. There's hundreds of people driving by 10, 11, 12 year old girls being sold for sex every single day and doing nothing. And the thing is, is that we're doing that in our daily lives too. Like we're driving by Asian massage parlors at two o'clock in the morning with flashing red lights on and we all know what's happening, but we have blinders on it because for whatever reason, we haven't humanized them. We don't see them as people or we don't think that we could actually make a difference or that it's even our responsibility to do something. And so when I think about justice, the first thing is it starts with me. It starts with me living a generous lifestyle. And it it means that I have to take responsibility and there's always something I can do. It doesn't matter if you have money or not. You can find a single mom who is overwhelmed and go mow her lawn. You can be walking by an elderly person who's taking the groceries out of their um, you know, shopping cart and help them. No matter where you're at in your life, I think the first thing that you have to actually think about before we go down the conversation of, what shoes should preachers be wearing is what am I actually doing to help make this world a better place and take that personal inventory and stop and say, what am I doing? How am I spending my money? Am I using my $4 for Starbucks and justifying it? And then saying that person's wrong because they didn't give 40,000 or am I actually taking the $4 that I have and making an impact, not just throwing it out the window at someone that I think could be homeless. I'm not talking about just being random, but finding a cause, finding something that you're passionate about, actually making a difference in people's lives, whether it's people down the block from you or it's an organization that you help. The reality is justice starts with you. And I love this saying, it's something that I've been so passionate about is that there's never a convenient time for justice. So there's never gonna be this moment where all of a sudden your life opens up and you have all this extra time to go volunteer and help someone complete their asylum paperwork or help someone learn to read that just moved here from another country. It's always easy to have an opinion on whether or not we should have asylum or immigration. But when the rubber meets the road, it actually means that I'm not just gonna click yes or no on a ballot box, but I'm gonna wake up on a Saturday morning and I'm gonna go donate my time and I'm gonna help someone live a better life because I'm backing up and walking out the values that I believe in. So I think that's that's facts. the first, first what? I said that's facts. That's facts. That's right. So like the first thing we have to know is like uh, even on preachers and sneakers, if all you're doing is saying what all those people are doing is wrong, then take your own inventory. What are you doing? Who have you helped today? Who have you helped in a week? Who have you helped in a month? And seriously, if you can't come up with at least 100 people that you've helped in this month, then just shut your Instagram account down. I feel really attacked right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm hearing your point. 
Well, I don't want you to feel attacked. I don't want anyone to feel attacked. Uh, I'm the your love is heroic girl. So it's about loving people well, not attacking people. That's right. And I feel the same way. And I'm really trying not to attack anybody. So a follow-on question to that is uh, around the optics discussion, because I still haven't gotten a really great answer about the that that feeling that people feel when they see some of these guys and girls wearing this pricey stuff and it they always and I'm, I me too I bring up the word optics and feel like it's a legitimate concern to care about how you're perceived to the people you're preaching to what would you say to that whole uh, I guess the comments about like preachers should or shouldn't worry about the optics of what they wear well, I think we all need to always be worried about the optics. Um, you know, I um, grew up very fortunate and my father was extremely successful and worked for a very large oil company and he was very senior in the company. And he had a sports car that he drove on the weekend and then he had a very modest car that he would drive to the office. And I remember one day, and I was sharing this with you at Starbucks, like, um, we had to drive across the city to change cars. And I was a little annoyed. Like I was in high school. I was like, seriously, dad, like we have to drive all, like, all the way across the city to change cars so that we can go to the office and you're going to waste time. Can't we just go right to the office? And my dad said to me, I have to let 400 people go on Monday and it would not send the right message if I showed up in this car. And so here's my dad, who's not a preacher, not in ministry aware of the optics of what spending looks like. And I feel like there's a reality of when you are in a public position, whatever that is, that we do have to be concerned with what it looks like and what message we're saying, because we all love to be called an influencer. But at the end of the day, when we're actually talking about our influence, we have to look at every area. So I think oh, that there's something that we need to look at, and that's what I love about preachers and sneakers, is that you're introducing the, the idea of, I think if we saw some balance, that it wouldn't, it would have a different message. So here's here's the thing. Let me back up for a second. Your reputation, your reputation precedes you. Your reputation is what everyone knows about you in general because they've encountered you enough times. So I can tell you that. I've seen some of the most generous people um, at Bethel Church. Bill and Benny Johnson have personally supported me in Unlikely Heroes, Chris Valatin. And there's thousands of stories of the people that they've actually been generous with that I could go on and on. I have friends that they've helped who had handicapped children and just poured their generosity out upon them. So I think when you have the reputation of generosity, and when you're using your influence to talk about subjects of helping the poor practically, and when you're introducing the conversation of not just promoting your own latest worship CD or your latest book, but you're actually also saying, hey, I'm giving to this justice cause, I'm giving my time, whether that's practically helping the single mom or that's actually writing the $100,000 check. And yeah, you could get in the whole thing about, you know, make your giving in private. But, right. but when you're a generous person and when you're living a lifestyle of generosity, you're also going to be giving in public. Yes, there's times to give in private, but there's also times to use your platform to actually bring good onto this planet. And that goes beyond just your message you're preaching. And so I feel like 
the first thing that we're looking at is always the heart because that's what God looks at, you know? And so um, when it comes to spending, I feel like the first thing is, where's your heart at? Like, is your heart attached to your finances? Like, you know, Jesus said to the disciples, you know, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. And then they were like, well, how do we go to heaven? And then he was like, the, it's impossible without God. That's right. And I feel like that there's a test that's been happening in our hearts in the body of Christ over the last few months with many of us that God's really been knocking on the door of our hearts and saying, where's your treasure at? Is your treasure in heaven or is your treasure on earth? Are you willing to give it all? Where, where are you spending and why? And I love that you're highlighting that. That's something we should all be aware of. Where am I spending my money and why? And where's my heart posture at within that space? Because when you're living a lifestyle of generosity and you're practically helping the poor and you're focused on leaving a legacy that's actually going to make this world a better place in two and three generations, and those are core values you have, and you also like to buy great sneakers, I have no problem with that. You're <laughs> going to be known for your reputation. Right. Like, you're going to be known by all the people who know you who say, that is such a generous person, and they drive a really nice car. But your reputation precedes you. So if you're just driving a nice car and you're not helping the poor, standing up for justice subjects, donating your time, not just hanging out in the green room, then you're going to be known for that. And like, I loved, you know, you put up the picture with Jake Hamilton and everyone who jumped on there who knows him says he is such a great man. He would give you the shirt off his back. He is known for his generosity. That's his reputation. And there were some haters on there saying he shouldn't wear those shoes, even though they were given to him. But you know what? His reputation went before him. And all those people jumped in to say, Jake and Nikki have lived lives of generosity and of humility and um, would have cared for the poor. And I know they have friend like heroes. Jake spent a whole tour raising money for us. And Dang. then as soon as you posted that pic, he flipped the conversation and said, let's use these shoes to raise money for a social justice cause. That's his heart. That's his reputation. That's how he lives his life. No one questions that because we can see it. Yeah. And I feel like there's got to be, you've got to feel some amount of security if you're constantly acting in that way, constantly giving to others and highlighting ways that people can serve and ways that you're serving. Like, I, I get it that it, it's probably a fine line between like, look at me, how humble and servant hearted I am versus look at the good things that you can do and that you should be doing that I've also chosen to uh, participate in, but I feel like there's got to be like, if you're actually selfish, selflessly doing all those things that would come with an amount of security that would say, yeah, I got these nice shoes, but I gave away $2 million last year or something like that. I mean, a hundred percent. And it's like, it's, it is very difficult to impossible actually to judge the motives of people's hearts through Instagram. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think it is still a worthy thing to, to consider before you post a picture of yourself on Instagram, how people are going to perceive it. Because at least from my own personal experience, that's all that was communicated to me was that these dudes were pastors and they were wearing super expensive sneakers. So I still think it's a worthy thing to do. I under, like, I totally get that it's impossible to judge people's hearts and see 
where people are giving, especially when they want to give in private and try to be humble about it. But I do think like if you're, if you're curating your image on Instagram, there's gotta be a way that you can also curate the things that you're doing good for the world, right? Like in, instead of it just being solely self-promotion or book promotion, there gotta be some like, hey, don't look at me, look at all these other things that are going on in the world that either you could help with or that we're already helping with. Um, I guess I'm just reiterating your whole point is that you should be heavily involved with those things and also somehow direct people's attention to it in a non like cocky way. If you're living your life for other people, you can't help but talk about that. So right. Right. It, and the reality is, is we all want to talk about influencers and what they're supporting with their, you know, with their voice and with their message, then support the message of you using your time and your life and your love and your energy and your care to creating a lasting impact and to create a justice movement. Like, make that a part of the conversation too. And I think that once we see that balance, it's really about the balance. If all we see is shiny cars, then people react. But when you actually see that balance of that message of the giving and the good and the stopping for the one, then that reputation is something that's going to go with you and inspire so many more people to do good. So I think when we take responsibility for our voice and say, it's my job to make sure that I'm responsible, that with my voice, I do good and challenge myself. I want to get better every year. Like that was great last year. How can I, how can I sharpen that message this year to bring even more good? Uh, Somewhat related and whether you've experienced this or people, you know, uh, can you talk about any times where you got like insane gifts that were incredibly generous or knew of people either in at Bethel or Jesus culture that you got insanely like lavish or expensive gifts and how you handled that whole deal? Yeah. I mean, this is so bizarre, but it's really hard to get a really big donation into unlikely heroes. And obviously it's not to me personally, but, um, like it's really easy to say thank you for $20, but like when a million dollar donation comes in, it's like, what do you do? Some flowers? You know? <laughs> like, like, how do you say thank you for that? Like, so when the really big donations come in, it is really mind blowing. I mean, it's very different in my situation because I have a hundred kids and kids are expensive. Um, and so there's just that reality, but um, I've, when you are in the public eye, the reality is a lot of this stuff does come for free. Like I, we, you know, just in our case, we'll send out t-shirts and we're running a campaign because when we've got influencers with a million followers posting our t-shirts, then they're helping us raise money. So, um, and I'm around enough brands that donate to Unlikely Heroes to give to the influencers and the celebrities that have supported us, which we've had mm. so many, like, Selena Gomez, Francia Raisa, Nikki Reed, Ian Summerhalder, Jordan Sparks, Angela Johnson, so many incredible people that have taken their, their platform and their time. I could go on and on with how many people have helped us, but it really does help bring awareness to the cause. And I've seen them all like Francia was in the middle of filming and she's on Grownish and she mm-hmm. had to catch like the last flight out and the first flight out the next morning just so that she could help bring her voice um, to Unlikely Heroes. And she's been so generous in so many ways. She took our kids to Disneyland and um, 
you know, just like made sure they had the time of our USA homegirls and made sure they had the time of their life. And so, um, I've, I have seen so many people do so much good with what they've been given. And, you know, it's funny you said, how do you handle the heaviness? And I feel like of, of what we face and there are really heavy days, but also like, I get to see people at their best. I get to see people giving and using their voice and stopping their lives to maybe even help a child that they're never even going to meet or know their name. And I think that that's such a beautiful part of humanity and, and like what makes us truly beautiful people. So I feel like that's such a gift. Yeah. How do you do anything else after this? Or will you ever do anything else after this? It's a big job. Sadly, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. It seems like a, a mass, like there's no end in sight really to the work that can be done. But I imagine it's incredibly fulfilling to look back and see the lives that you have helped change. Like, got it. God has rescued these children and has saved their lives, but you getting to serve a part in it probably has to feel amazing. Right. I believe in tipping point moments, but I'm, I'm an eternal optimist, so I'm not giving up. And you're obnoxiously um, positive. Yeah. But also like there are tipping point moments in history, like D-Day. We just had D-Day recently. Like that was a moment that had that not happened, we would have lost World War II to the Nazis. Like there are tipping point moments in history. And when we collectively Mm. come together and make an effort to create those, I think that that's what pushes uh, moments of breakthrough forward in this world. And that's what I want to be a part of. That's what you want to be a part of. That's what we can all, we all have that same, we all have the same equal opportunity to do good in this world. Yeah. I mean, right there. You have the same amount of opportunity to do good as I do, whether that's with time, with money, with your voice, however you want to do it. Just go out there and make this world a better place. You got to suck it up and do it at some point. You got to shut up and just act on something that is pushing you. I agree. Right? Instead of talking about it. I'm so over people talking about stuff and doing nothing. Like I just take a step forward and refine it as you go. Right? Instead of having the, the perfect plan. Yeah, uh, we, we both get that. There's no perfect plan. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, and uh, I, we are both figuring this thing out as we go. That's and right. You have, it, you have it more figured out than I do. Uh, any any final thoughts on this whole preachers and sneakers discussion? I love it. <laughs> Thank you. That I, makes one. That's, that makes one. I uh, love it because let's talk and bring some accountability to finances and let's open the discussion and not be afraid of it. People are always afraid to talk about money. I have no idea why. Like it's a part of our everyday life. Every time we buy something, we're voting with our dollar. Let's open up this conversation and bring some accountability and maybe even some conviction and some more generosity because I feel like Like every day we all have the opportunity to change and to grow and to become more mature and to say, maybe I could do it better today. And I think that like, I mean, just in, I mean, you don't have to wear $1,800 Balenciagas while you're preaching. Like no one's forcing you. So like now that this account exists, like, yay, you know, like just know you might be on it. Like you can still rock them. You know, I like, good sneakers, but yeah, not $1,800 ones, but <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll learn whether or not for better or for worse that, uh, 
no one will ever be able to step out in those shoes ever again without somebody at least sending it to me and me considering whether or not to post it or not. But what a great conversation to start. And I hope everyone weighs in. Like, this is something that we all, because if it really starts with our heart, then the first question we all have to ask ourselves is, what am I doing? What am I doing to make this world a better place? And before I'm going to judge anybody else, I'm going to do a personal inventory on myself. And then I'm going to do what I can to encourage other people to take a personal inventory and then to do even more good. And I think as soon as we come at it like that, when we see Jake Hamilton's response to being featured on Preachers with Sneakers, and then he used it to raise money for an org he loves. Thankfully, it was in Like the Heroes. Um, <laughs> he raised like, what, 1500 bucks or something? Yeah, more than the sneakers were caught. The yeah, that's awesome. That's Isn't amazing. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Like, we have a chance to change the conversation. So Those shoes are ugly as hell. I don't care who you are. What? Those shoes are ugly as hell. I don't care who you are. $1,500. I like that messy style look. <laughs> the dad shoes. Yeah, you should get some dad shoes. Those would those would look good. Um, all right. Well, thanks for taking the time today, Erica. It, it's been so inspiring to hear about your successes in helping these kids. And I hope that you continue to help more and more around the world. Thanks. And thank you for supporting us because you've got some awesome merch that is going to also help make this world a better place. That's right. Uh, By a weird happenstance, I wanted to take this time to announce that we will officially be releasing Preachers and Sneakers short and long sleeve tees on June 24th, June 21st, with all the proceeds going to support Unlikely Heroes and their incredibly powerful mission. I'm pumped about these shirts and the impact they'll have on kids' lives around the world. Uh, Make sure everyone be on the lookout for more details as the day approaches. They look pretty sweet, in my opinion. Uh, people are already hating on me for creating merch, but we're raising money for an, uh, yeah. an arguably awesome cause. So I hope everyone will be on the lookout and will buy. And if you're in my life, DM me if you want to support Unlikely Heroes and Preachers and Sneakers merch. That's right. Erica, uh, Last one last thing. How can people connect with you on the internet or on social media? We are at U-H-E-R-O-E-S, you heroes on Instagram, and I am Erica Grieve on Instagram. So come hang out and become a part of the conversation. That's awesome. Erica, thanks so much for the time again, and uh, hope to see you again soon. Thanks. It was great to see you too. Alrighty. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Preachers and Sneakers podcast. If you haven't had the chance already, please make sure you follow my Instagram at Preachers in Sneakers, as well as my Twitter at Preachers and Sneakers without any vowels. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe, as well as share the podcast with your friends on Apple, Spotify, and Google. I really appreciate all the feedback I've gotten up to this point, and it's really been fun to make all these episodes, so I hope to continue to do it more. Uh, Thanks again for tuning in to the Preachers and Sneakers podcast.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.